Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. Uh, quick bit of uh, uh, an update. Um, I'm going to be leaving out of town tomorrow, going on vacation for two weeks. Um, right. And because Kason's home internet is a disaster. I know. I wanted to just keep doing it but i it's just not gonna work this time i i got some news though i got something to say oh, actually okay. you finish your thought and then i'll add to it you finish okay. what you're gonna say Let's so uh, basically what i'm saying is is that we're taking a two-week break from uh, break. podcasting so we will be done after today for the remainder of the month of august we will be back september 1st sunday september 1st to regular podcasting again uh but until then we're gonna be taking a break Everyone cool off. Everyone step back. (laughs) Stop being elitists like me. (laughs) And just enjoy stuff for a bit. Um, Anyways, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I haven't reset my router in about two months because (laughs) this is is a problem. But because um, we have storage for my wife's parents, their stuff is in our garage. And it is everywhere. And I can't actually access um, the router, unfortunately, so I don't know if it's been overheating or if anything's wrong with it. But over the course of these next two weeks, uh, that will all be getting cleared out as her parents move into their new house. So, yeah, they're down in well, Spanish Fork somewhere around there. So a lot closer to us. But that will be not as big of a deal anymore. I don't know if it'll fix anything, but I'll at least reset the router, which I have not done in a very long time. Yeah, so that that'll be good. Uh it was working really well for what was that? Like maybe a month and a half. Like oh really? And I'm starting ago. to wonder if it's if it's weather, if it's temperature related. Maybe. If it's um like now that it's really hot, if that's affecting the router, because the router's in my garage, which is really bad. It shouldn't yeah. be in the garage, but that's where the house builders put the the caps and that's the freaking cat smart. five. Yeah. That's smart just, house builders. It all comes out to that point in the garage and I could drill another hole through the wall and try and feed it back through into like one of our closets or something, but I haven't really gotten around to doing that yet. Um, but yeah, they just built our house that way. So I'm wondering if it's heat related and if, as it cools off, then it'll start working better. I don't know. Mm. Well, things to try. Yeah. But not within the next two weeks. Yep. Within the next two weeks, we're taking a break. <laughs> yep. We're gone. Um, anyways, uh, the Vino artist says, when you get back, I got a beckoned game update for you. Beckoned is beckoned the title of the game. Yeah. It uh, you'll have to, uh, clarify that for me. If, okay. if it was a capital B, we wouldn't be asking, but yeah. it's a lowercase B. So it's very confusing. So I'm not sure. A beckoned <laughs> game. Uh, I don't, let me know what you, what, what you mean. Um, Okay, so first order of business uh, in terms of uh, news stories this week. Um, You may have seen the video that I did uh, touting the Kickstarter for Kingdoms of the Dump. This was a couple weeks back when they launched their Kickstarter. I am happy to announce that they have reached their Kickstarter goal. Good, well-deserved. That game's awesome. 
Awesome. Yeah, and they actually hit their first stretch goal. So they've reached the $65,000 mark, which allows them to get a track for the game composed by, uh, I always get his name wrong, but Hiroki Kikuda, I think, the composer of Secret of Mana and Seiken Densetsu 3, I believe also the uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, which was the first, the real first Secret of Mana game. Um, Anyways, so they're going to have... Uh, a, a song composed by him. Congratulations to them. Um, so that was the first stretch goal. Here he is. I have it right here on on uh, screen. Special guest track from Hiroki okay. Kikuda. If Kingdoms of the Dump exceeds funding and hits our first stretch goal, we will be getting a special guest track from legendary Secret of Mana composer Hiroki Kikuda. This would be an incredible honor and an excellent fit for an SNES-styled game. Now, the second stretch goal was what I considered to be the real goal, <laughs> uh, where it gets ported to consoles, and in particular the Nintendo Switch. Um, this is at yes, the 80... exactly. I would. I yeah. really want to play that on the Switch. <laughs> I do too. So this is why I really want to uh, get this out there. I'm actually probably going to be releasing the podcast early this week. So rather than it going up on Wednesday like usual, I think I'm going to put it up like tomorrow or maybe tonight. Okay. Um, sure, because sure. I they have seventy one hours left on their um, on their campaign, so if they're gonna hit that eighty thousand, which is a, it's a stretch, but if any of you who had seen that video and you were like, oh yeah, I, I you know when I get a chance, I really want to uh, try and fund that, and you, and maybe you forgot or haven't had a chance to yet, there's just a couple days left. I think just under three days left now. Um, so. Nice. If, if you want to support the game, definitely um, hit them up. I'm going to put the uh, link for the Kickstarter here into the Twitch chat right now. And um, I will also put it in the description of the videos, which, again, I think will go up tomorrow morning, just so that we can hit this and people can be aware that there's just a, a, little, a little bit left. But... Like I said, I really want to play it on the Nintendo Switch, and we got to hit 80,000 to do that. So it's just another 15,000 to go. We can do it, people. But congratulations to the developers, uh, Roach in particular, who I've uh, spoken with on Twitter quite a lot um, for hitting the goal, and uh, the game will be funded, and I'm freaking stoked for them. Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats. Huge congrats. Okay. Um, next item that I want to talk about is another game that we have featured here on the podcast before tactics V obsidian brigade. This is my, um, well, from nothing game studios, but, uh, Paul Metcalf, uh, who, um, is a member of our community. Um, we've shown off this footage in the past, a game very much inspired by final fantasy tactics or maybe tactics ogre that style of tactical RPG. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have uh, played it a little bit myself. Unfortunately, I've not had a chance to play it enough to like do a review or a full recommendation or anything like that. Um, I've played probably the first four or five missions um, and it, it plays very, very much like final fantasy tactics or tactics ogre. So if you're into that kind of tactical RPG, 
which we, we don't have like tons of them anymore in this day and age. Um, you can check that out on Steam. It's also on the Nintendo Switch. I think all the consoles, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, you can get them on at least the PlayStation 4 uh, and Nintendo Switch. But uh, you could also get it on, on Steam or PC. Um, suggest checking it out. So I'm going to leave the link to that as well in the chat for uh, the Steam page um, so that you can check that out. That'll be in the description as well. Um, but anyways, I have played it um, a little bit and uh, I'm having a good time with it so far. I think that uh, it really nails kind of like that classic um you know, tactics type RPG, uh, different, di- very different style from say something like Fire Emblem, where you know uh, each sort of side takes uh, turns in phases. So all of your units get to go, and then your turns over, and all the other units get to go, and then the turns over. Kind of like, um, well, anyways, you know what I mean. Uh, in in this, it's more like each unit gets their own sort of um, uh, initiative uh, role. And uh, so they're all kind of, you have different units moving from the enemy's uh, army and your army or whatever. Um, And the level progression system, very much, very, very reminiscent of Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics as well. So it's got great music too. I was actually really surprised uh, that the music was quite solid. I liked it. Okay, we have another news uh, story here before we move on to the main topic. Yeah, uh, this Grandia. Is... Yes. Have you played Grandia? So, no, but I've seen it, and you did a first look on it, right? I did, yes. It was my very and first one. I have not personally played it, but it's it's a game that I've always wanted to play, and this is why I'm so excited about the HD collection, because it's coming to the Switch. I think they just announced that within the week, right? Yeah. And they barely announced it, yeah, the release date. That's that's Well, they announced the release date, but okay, I can't remember if... um. So... I'm excited to play it for the Switch. I think I'm finally going to play it. I've always wanted to play it ever since I saw your first look on it. Um, but I just haven't I just haven't played it yet. But I'm going to get it for the Switch, like, for sure. Yeah, and it's actually Grandia 1 and 2 all together in, uh, in one package. So uh, two games in one. And uh, what I have played of Grandia, which is, I don't know, not, not a lot, but it was a really charming game. Um, 2D sprites in a 3D world, kind of like Xenogears. I love it. That's like my favorite thing in the world is 2D yep, sprites in a 3D world. Fantastic. And uh, the battle system is real unique. It's it's pretty different from uh, most uh, turn-based RPGs you've probably played before. Um, so I'm excited. I'm going to be picking it up for sure. Me too. Um, and we will update you guys on what we think about it. Maybe it's time for me to do... Uh, a grandia well if not a full retrospective at least some video talked about my thoughts on it uh since this game's coming out pretty soon but anyways the release date is i don't know if i said it already but august 16th august 16th so once again mike will be gone yep (laughs) when it comes out but you know it's this friday i think right yeah coming out this friday i might get it i might get it we'll see do it man no do it let me know what you think about it um cool so that's it for the um, the news topics for this week. Oh, it's uh, Gr- Grandal Tony is asking if it's coming to Europe. I I have no idea, man. Oh, that's a good question. You, you I, have to I look would that one up yourself. I would I would hope so, but who knows? I would think like why not? 
why not? Seriously. But I'm sure Europeans say why not for a lot of things that don't well, come to Europe. It used to be a big problem in the 90s yes. where they got oh, like yeah. almost nothing that we got. But that hasn't yeah, necessarily been the case recently. Like nothing. Yeah. Recently, they've been getting all the same stuff. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure why it wouldn't. So, but yeah. I can't, I can't say for sure. Uh, Powers did get Grandia, says Capdoc. Okay. So back the, back in the day, they had so it, it. So it does have a PAL version. Okay. Should be a thing. Should should doesn't mean it is, but it should. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's always weird weird issues with that. So, um, considering this was going to be the last week uh, for the month, at least for the next couple weeks, that we we'd be doing a podcast. I uh, in Discord, I offered to let uh, people pick what we talked about this week. And uh, actually got a pretty good suggestion from Heon, something I had actually been thinking about a lot already, um, considering some of the topics of some previous podcasts we've had. So it's going to be somewhat of a continuation of some stuff we've already talked about. Um, But essentially the question was, is it better to be ignorant and happy when it comes to your, uh, you know, consumption of media? Or is it better to be a dissatisfied expert slash elitist? So if you become like the more of something that you consume, right? The the law of diminishing returns, the idea of repetition we've talked about a lot. If you if all you do is like just hit it hard with JRPGs and you just play every single JRPG that ever existed and you just like really um saturate your life with that. You, the idea is that, you know, at some point, not only will fatigue for that set in, but you'll you'll get a taste for for what the best is. And so, like, there's going to be a lot of stuff that it, down the line, as you become more and more of an expert in that particular genre or whatever it may be, um, as your taste, as your palate becomes more refined, <laughs> for whatever it is that you've become an expert at. Um, it's harder and harder to be satisfied with um, with new stuff coming out in that genre. Um, anytime you become really good at something, you, you see all the, the little tiny flaws and it becomes hard to be happy with things um, because, again, your, your palate, so to speak, is so refined. So what's better? Right. To it's just, like Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Gordon Ramsay going around for his TV show and all these people making these dishes that are probably perfectly fine, but he freaking <laughs> throws it in their face and yep. he swears and yells at him because it's not, it's not perfect, you know? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So what's better <laughs> to have that refined taste and to, and to experience the very best of what there is out there and really appreciate it for being so great. Right. Like to really understand why or and then to mostly like be dissatisfied with stuff. And again, this, there's a right. spectrum to this. I'm not trying to say it's, you have to be one or the other, but uh, or, or just in general to be more ignorant of some of those um, more minute details and and like a deeper understanding of something and just kind of just be happy with, you know, mostly everything, everything. that, you, that yeah. you see. Um, I'll go ahead and read the full question just to make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, says, in light of the rule of diminishing returns, it seems that humans are bound to grow to dislike most art or media the more they engage with it. 
Um, if so, how do you square your priorities as a consumer? Um, is there value to developing more refined taste if it means feeling that 99% of stuff out there is trash? And then Dubna Guy added to this, said, uh, how do you determine when to go into critic mode versus just enjoying a game or movie uh, or just being in the mode for enjoying the game or movie? When do you flip that switch? Well, okay. Yeah. That There's is, the th- premise there is, the question. Yeah, there is a switch to be flipped because some of my favorite movies aren't the best movies, right, critically. Sure. But... It's funny because, and I'll just say the obvious thing real quick. You got to find a happy medium where you can recognize high quality content when you see it, but that you're not living so, you know, dissatisfied all the time. You can just chill and relax and enjoy things for what they are, right? So obviously that's the obvious answer. There's some happy medium in there. Um, But um, then it becomes a question of flipping the switch, right? Like when, when do you decide that, Oh, they didn't answer these questions or there were these plot holes and I'm upset versus yeah, there are tons of plot holes and they did answer these questions, but the movie was so fun and awesome that I didn't really care. Right. And for us, it becomes something I think more of like, if we're making a video on our YouTube channel, we kind of have to be, we have to flip the critical switch at least a little bit. Um, because we're we're more interested in finding out why things were super good or fun or, or awesome, and less we're less into um, like there's not much to talk about if if you're not going to be critical, right? You can just say, oh, this movie was so great or this game was so awesome, but it's like why? Well, okay, you have to now at this point flip the switch and start analyzing it particularly, right? So yeah. most of the content that we talk about here on our channel is stuff that we we just have to flip that switch because we need to analyze it in a way that a lot of people maybe don't do or they do, but they don't see other people do on YouTube. Yeah. I think that there's a couple of um, elements to this. I, I might ramble a bit trying to hit on everything I was thinking about. But um, first of all, I had a really kind of a lengthy conversation this week with my buddy Bryce about escapism, like the value of escapism. Sure. Um, And uh, to me, it's like there are going to be areas in your life where you're not interested in being an expert in that thing and where you will kind of just enjoy something on more of a surface level and you will use it as a form of escapism or just sort of surface level entertainment pastime that kind of thing and uh it it won't be interesting to you to delve into all of the finer details and nuances of it um a good example of this for me uh because because you know i i often criticize anime for um what i've kind of arrived at as being too escapist for my taste a lot of times right like for me, when sure. I'm watching a show or I'm watching a movie or I'm playing um, a story-driven, narrative-driven game, I want something that is m- more likely than not trying to have like a, a genuine like message, something interesting to explore, think about, um, maybe something that challenges me philosophically. philosophically. Um, and a lot of times 
when stories don't fall into that, um, I tend to be critical of them. Now, I'll get into author intention in a minute because I think that's also a big part to consider. But um, I don't know. For instance, when I was watching Evangelion a couple weeks ago, um, I, I'm, I'll try to say this as diplomatically as possible. <laughs> uh, what bothered me about at least the early episodes to where I basically wanted to just walk away from it is that – and this is what I feel about a lot of the anime that I've seen – is that it's and this ties into that uh, Hayao Miyazaki quote that we've brought up a couple of times about how it uh, anime has become overrun by otaku culture and that these are people who aren't necessarily very observant about real human relationships and how people really act it's mm-hmm. more that they're just kind of playing a a fantasy of theirs yeah. out right yeah. um and what bothered me about the the first probably eight or 10 episodes of Evangelion is that that's what it felt like. Like it, this was a boy, a 14 year old boy called in to become this like pilot of this like organic mecha thing. And he gets yeah. to go and live with his hot, like captain instructor and like has all of these awkward sexual instances with these girls, his age that would never happen in a million years in real life to a real person. Right. This feels very much like a, prepubescent like fantasy playing out (laughs) in front of me right and to me that feels like pure escapism now i want to be quick to get kind of back to what i had talked about with bryce this week about is escapism bad is there anything wrong with that um and, and ultimately i don't feel that there is um and and i one instance in which i participate heavily in pure escapism is when i play sports games right like oh sure that's a good yeah when you and landon were playing i think it was nba 2k 12 or something yes yes you actually go through the process of the whole rpg side of it leveling up the character and like becoming better overcoming the challenges that they give you i have never in my entire life been interested in doing that in a sports game (laughs) I want to create myself at completely maxed out stats, walk onto one of the worst teams in the NBA and turn them into an NBA contender or an NBA championship contender and just like blast my way through and break every record in the book. And, (laughs) but that's, that is exactly the same thing. That is pure. That's almost a power fantasy, right? It's a power fantasy in sports. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now here's where, the distinction comes in for me. I would never claim that that story of me as a 32 year old walk on to the worst team in the NBA and take them to an NBA championship and just destroying LeBron James along the way or something. I would never claim (laughs) that that's a good story, right? Like it's a story that lacks any conflict, which is what makes a story good to begin with conflict that causes the characters to really change, you know, along the way. And that doesn't pl- that plays out um, the way that things do in real life. In real life, there's always conflict. There's always a puzzle solving, so to speak, problem solving. We have to do to overcome the challenges that come our way. And and through doing that, we grow and progress as people. This is what storytelling is all about. So mm-hmm. for me, for for whatever reason in my life, 
storytelling is one of those things that I wanted to become an expert at. I wanted to see all of the individual parts and pieces and how they come together and why you do this and that to create something that has kind of a lasting emotional impact. And so for me, storytelling, that's what I want to see from it. But that's not what I want from a sports game, right? Or from a sports game. Yeah. There are people who want to become experts at that thing. And they go online, they play against human players, and they get into all the nuances of how to play this game and how the game works. And they really break it down. They get competitive. And, you know, um, so I guess my ultimate point is that there are going to be some things in life that we want to become experts at. And there are going to be some things in life we don't care to become experts at. We just want pure entertainment value from them. And whatever you pick and choose that to be for yourself is fine. It's, it's, it's your, it's your life. It's your power sure. fantasy, whatever you want it to be. Right. I, I would recommend not do not, ha not making everything fit into one of those categories. Like it's sure. okay. You can be an elitist snob, I guess, if you want to about certain things, but the most annoying people are the people who are trying to be elitist and expert on everything. Right. Like all movies, all video games, there's everything. And they, they only like this very specific kind of thing. And th those are probably the most annoying types of, of, you know, experts, I think, because they aren't usually really experts. But even when they are, it's just like, Ugh, I don't want to be around that. Right. So yeah. Jonah, the man had a very interesting point that I think actually um, it's something I wanted to talk about a little bit because it brings it gets close to the point. I'll bring up my point, but I'm going to read his comment first. He said, Escapism only becomes a problem when it destroys your ability to live a real day-to-day -day life. That's what Requiem for a Dream was all about. Now, escapism, in my opinion, and this is, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm going too far with this, right? But es escapism is like smoking pot, right? It's just, you, it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't, you don't learn anything. You don't really progress, but it's like, it's like fun, I guess. It's it's a it just it's just an experience where you just kind of sit back and you just let things happen to you very passively, and then after it's over, it's like okay, that was you know, that was fun. But you you can't let that consume you though. People who just sit around and smoke pot all day are 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 not very useful people into the world. I think. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's like never an okay thing to do, but you've got to limit your escapism because I think with escapism, you are playing with something that's potentially a little bit dangerous in that you're, especially you're if you have like you're, addictive you're leaving the world, tendencies. Right? What? Yeah. Well, people who have like addictive tendencies. Exactly. Like, yeah. Because when do you stop escaping? When do you stop? Sure. And, and if it feels so good and fun to escape, like you, that's just, you, you constantly want to be somewhere other than where you are right now and for some people i understand that a lot in fact we've talked about that in some some of the i think with the last video that i made i talked about that a little bit um about how like it's i don't know you're this is kind of how i was as a kid i was always you know daydreaming and i was always out somewhere else and i kind of had to cut that back a bit as i became a teenager because i i was just i was kind of a weird kid and as i cut that back a bit i started to have more friends and maybe girls started to like me all of a sudden, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. But socially 
it was a good thing for me to limit that a little bit, to stop daydreaming, to stop getting Fs and Ds in all my classes because I was never paying attention to the teacher. It was a good thing for me to to mitigate that to specific mm-hmm. things. And so I think that that's what I'm referring to when I say that there's a balance. Like everyone says, well, obviously there needs to be a balance. You're an expert in some things, you're just okay with other things. But uh, to me, the balance is more like, make sure that you in your life are, are progressing. You're, you're moving forward. You're learning things. You're getting better. And escapism is, in my opinion, and maybe somebody can rebut this, escapism is just not a, a useful way to do that ever. And it's not a useful way to spend your time. Um, that being said, sometimes it's good to chill and to wind down and to relax and to kind of take a break for a little bit. But it's it, it should never be a thing that kind of dominates your life. Sure. Yeah, how and, many people uh, think that I'm completely wrong? <laughs> no, but um, I wanted to touch on that and say, like, I, I agree that there needs to be balance, but I also want to just uh, iterate, I guess, on the fact that escapism i think that there's a negative a real negative connotation associated with that word like it's just purely a bad thing and like you said it can be um if you let it dominate your life too much but at the same time i think everyone needs some of it like you you need to de-stress you need to like be able to let go of and get away from your problems for a minute to just like de-escalate and like get into a better place mentally so that you can reapproach the problems in your life and sort of like get back to it with like a fresh mind and uh, entertainment and escapism in general is a good way to sort of let some of that steam off. Right. Sure. I think everybody can use a little bit of it um, even like every day to just to relax and calm down and, uh, and whatever needs to be. And then you can kind of get back to the grind again the next day or whatever. So Sure. Whatever form that escapism takes, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It could. That could be watching anime. That could be, uh, like I do, playing sports titles. That could be, um, whatever it is for you, right? And then there's going to be probably yeah. some other area of your life where you really want to like understand it as well as you possibly can, as deeply as you possibly can. You really want to become an expert at that thing, and so. It's going to be tough to be impressed in that particular field when you've divulged so much time and energy into it versus something else. It's like, oh, I, I'm cool with this. You know, uh, here's a good example. If I were to play some latest version of NBA 2K, um, I would probably be more easily impressed by it. I'm not saying I would because uh, these these companies, EA and... Um, uh 2k and stuff like that uh they have a lot of exploitative practices with sports games these days it makes me not want to buy them at all but if we just put that aside sports game yeah if we just put that aside and just look at like the game's kind of core mechanics i probably wouldn't like notice particularly uh anything that would i would see as some kind of major flaw that made this so much worse than a previous iteration or something like that as easily as someone who like annually plays these games competitively and buys them day one and really like digs in deep right so they're gonna have a lot more criticism of the thing than i will because i don't care about any of that i'm just here to escape into this fantasy of me being the greatest nba basketball player of all time for a few (laughs) minutes right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i think that that 
also kind of leads into, you know, a lot of uh, argumentation you see online with people trying to defend something that they find valuable or that they like and some people that are very, very critical of it. Um, I think that sometimes, sometimes it can come down to that, it, it being just a form of escapism for one person and it's perfectly fine and another person, they, they're really nitpicky about it. So, sure. But there's going to be a variety of things in your life where you will choose to be one or the other. And um, yeah. I don't think that there's a, a better way to be or not. It just depends on what you want from it. Do I want escapism or do I want like to be inspired? Do I want this to change my life, so to speak, when I experience yeah. this? What What is it that you want from it? You know, it, it in many cases, the best, probably in every case, honestly, the best like middle ground isn't even technically a middle ground. It is both. There, there, there are certain types of um, certain types of things like Lord of the Rings, maybe that do both extremely well. Like they are sure. expertly well done. They are masterpieces, but they're also just tools of pure escapism, right? Just sure. like I think a lot of um, Disney movies are similar in that way because Disney, at least early Disney, maybe not lately, but um, you know, Disney pre nineteen. 90s or whatever um they were so good at crafting these stories and they were so um they were just so they're really they're absolutely absolutely beautiful and very well done masterpieces in fact but they're made for kids they're made for little kids who don't know what the heck's going on and they're just sitting there watching and they just want to see a, a lion so they watch lion king right and they just want to see <laughs> right. a lion they don't really care what's going on but at the same time disney was able to do both things they're able to have that absolute pure escapism along with something that's truly a masterpiece like very very well done so i don't know like i think it's instead of finding a middle ground where you're doing a little bit of both there it's possible within this realm to to do a lot of both and to actually go to the extremes of both and to be but that's the hardest thing to do though that's not easy to be yeah. an expert thing, but also appeal. I think the Marvel movies do that really well as well. Um, you know, these expertly crafted films, but they're also just pure escapism. Like you, sure. you, you know, just pure, pure action entertainment fun, you know, I think so. It's crazy, but I think that's the best, the best ground to be at the, the best like Hollywood blockbusters kind of try to reach that duality. Right. Talking about something like Jurassic park or star Wars yeah. or, uh, you know, movies like that. It's where yeah. it's, you kind of have a they little bit of both. They don't all achieve it. <laughs> sort of like the 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 yeah. magic. You know what's funny? Whenever escapism. they have a little bit of both, go ahead. Yeah, usually they err on the escapist side, though. Like sure. usually, if a if a movie wasn't very good, but they tried really hard to do both, it's because they kind of failed at the expert side you know they don't usually fail at the uh, escape easier to do right i think the hardest thing to do right is to keep that escapist element is to still be happy to sure yeah um i think the other and then the There's other a comment here it. i wanted to read though oh go for it no you okay i'll just read this first hydrated cloth said uh, mike maybe escapism is just like dreaming letting you deal with real life problems in a different enough space that it doesn't stress you out too much as much as the real thing sure um i think that's part of it i think escapism is just like dreaming i i think that's basically what oh, movies yeah. are is like 
that's a Jungian philosophy, but it's you're, it's a dream. You're basically in, the, in a dreamlike state when you're watching a movie. It's as though it's happening to you, but it's not as stressful as if it was actually happening to you. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the purpose, or, or at least it's it's um, been speculated or there's a theory of that that's what dreaming is, that, that the utilitarian purpose of dreaming yeah. is to put us through stressful situations a lot of times without the actual like danger of that thing happening <laughs> to practice yeah. like how do we respond to these things when they happen um to the point of absurdity mm -hmm. right like you're being chased and you're running in slow motion like, the... and just like yeah. these crazy things that happen but it's it's just about creating that's that feeling of danger and that's not obviously not all dreams are nightmares but you know the the that's the idea. Um, yeah. But I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, intention as well, um, creator intention, because I think this is another really big component to it, right? Like, if the cre if the author or creator's intention is to make something that is pure escapism or something that is not meant to be taken seriously at all, then of course it doesn't make any sense to uh, be, like, hypercritical of the thing and try to, like... Uh, I guess analyze it in a way that would be comparable to something that's like trying for like an Oscar worthy level of uh, impact or performance, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think in in part of the, in light of the second part of the question that was offered by um, Dude McGuy, like obviously you have to be aware to some degree of what it is they're even trying to do. Um, this is the reason why in all my reviews, I do a retrospective first, because to me, it's really important to try to understand what the author or creator's intention is to begin with. Then you can be fair when you criticize the thing, right? Sure. Yeah. If, if you understand, okay, they wanted you to feel this when you played the game, or they wanted you to, uh, you know, do it this way, or this is what they were going for. Now I can say, did they achieve that or not? No. That to me is what fair criticism is. It's not, I don't like that though, because I didn't, I didn't enjoy it or I didn't have fun or it was annoying to me, but it's like, sure, that's valid too. You can say like, well, I don't like what they were trying to do, but it isn't fair to say, oh, it's bad because it didn't like pander to my expectations for the thing. Uh, rather, I think it's, it's a lot more useful to try to understand the intention first and then decide oh well if you can understand that to begin with then you'll know whether or not you want to watch that thing in the first place it's like if if you're into like just hardcore action and just like crazy explosions and that's that's what you're going for then you probably don't you know you probably won't care for interstellar or something like that right like <laughs> right yeah so you should be aware of the intention before you even engage with it to begin with and make a decision about whether or not you even want to, to see that thing. Um, but at the same time, if it, then it sounds like something that's interesting to you and you understand the intention, then you can sort of start breaking down, okay, did they achieve that? What were the choices that they made along the way to create that feeling in me or to create that experience? Was it successful? And if, if not, why? Why was the reason that it wasn't? And in the attempt to answer the question why, uh, like you were saying, this is where you can't 
really just turn your brain off anymore. You ha- you can't just say, oh, it was great. You can't. <laughs> if you want to answer why, you have to break it down. Yeah. You have to turn you that critical You move from being a on. passive participant to an active participant. Yeah. yeah. So for me, um, yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of where I stand on just the, the question as a whole. Um, what do you want from the thing? What does the creator want for the thing? Do those things align? And if they do, do you care to answer why the thing worked for you or not? <laughs> um, and it's going to be different just depending on what, what matters to you in life, what you, what you like, uh, what you want to be good at. I, I, there are a lot of things in life that I don't care to be an expert at. Um, and so, you know, it's not going to bother me. I'm not going to see all the little flaws and nitpicks and problems with something or point them out because it doesn't matter. Uh, and that's perfectly valid, but you know, in another area where maybe I'm really good at something, I can like see like all of the details into what made it so good or what, why it didn't work. And so pointing that out becomes, you know, it's a satisfying thing to do. It's a satisfying exercise. It makes you better. It makes you grow as someone who wants to become an expert in whatever uh, it is that, that you're going for. So, um, I don't think that, uh, it's. Well, to to answer the ultimate question, is it better to be ignorant and happy or is it better to be an expert and dissatisfied a lot of the time? I think it's going to depend on how much you care about whatever field you're talking about. In this case, we're talking about storytelling, media, that kind of thing. I would rather be an expert and dissatisfied than ignorant and happy in this particular field because I want to eventually be a creator in that field. I want to tell stories. And right. you can you learn. You kind of have to, yeah. You can learn a lot from the bad just as much as you can from the good. And so breaking that down is not necessarily about trying to put it down or put the people who made it down or the people who like it down. It's about trying to like find out the reasons or, or, or find out what methods work uh, for people. Like how can I reach people emotionally through the story that I'm telling? And the more I can understand that, the better I can understand that, the better my chances are of, uh, of making something worthwhile myself. So for me, you know, I would rather be a bit of an elitist maybe, or be a bit uh, dissatisfied with a lot of stuff. If it means that, in the end, I'll be able to become an expert at the thing. I actually have an analogy. I've been working on this since I was like eight, long time. <laughs> but it's basically the theory of like having a lot of happiness for a short period of time versus having a smaller amount of happiness for a longer period of time. And which is better, right? And I think that actually relates pretty well to this topic here. Is it better to be ignorant and happy? Which means you don't ever get like that that really high like oh my gosh i found a diamond in the rough kind of you know feeling when you're when you're ignorant and happy but you do get that like i'm you know it's it's better than normal but it's not like crazy you're not like going crazy or anything um but you get that more often right you get to have that all the time or if you're dissatisfied with everything and you finally find something that does fulfill 
the expertise that you feel, you know, something that was that well-crafted that it actually was able to accomplish what it needed to, um, you get a higher amount of happiness than as if you just watch any movie and you get about the same level every single time, no matter what. Um, and I always equate this to Reese's. And this is why when I was eight, I think I was eight, maybe I was nine or 10. And I would eat Reese's all at once, like ton, tons of Reese's, like seven or eight or 10 or 12. <laughs> yep. I would freaking eat them all at once. And people would make fun of me for it. And they'd be like, dude, you got to like take your time and enjoy it. And I was like, okay, because I'm an extreme person in a lot of ways. I'm like, okay, what's the, what's like the optimal way to experience something? And that's usually what I tried. I think you're similar, Mike. You, the optimal way of doing something is once you learn about it, it's just all you want to do, right? So yeah. I kind of was like, okay, let's take things to their logical extreme. You can either eat the Reese's all at once, or you can slowly eat the Reese's over the course of 10 years, right? Now, which is better? Well, if you slowly eat the Reese's over 10 years, you're just eating like a tiny bit. Like, what's the point? Okay, so let's shorten the day a little bit. Let's make it one day. You take one bite of Reese's every 30 minutes, right? And eventually you'll eat like 10 Reese's by the end of the day. How much taste of Reese's, like, was it really that good? And I, I've done this before. I do this experiment. And I'm like, I take one bite of Reese's and I want to take another bite. And I do. And for some reason, having more Reese's in my mouth tastes better. It tastes better. I don't know how to explain it, but when you just take a tiny bite and you eat it, you don't get as much taste, right? So I'm like, I'm going to eat 10 Reese's anyways. I may as well eat them all at once, right? So the way this relates is like when you experience that spike of just like, I have, I want to get as much enjoyment out of this as possible. I am going to be very particular and about my experience and I'm going to, make sure that everything aligns and, and boom, I get to have this wonderful experience. I can only do that once in a day though. And then I get to watch my friends the whole rest of the day. They're sitting there and they're still eating their Reese's little by little. But you know what? I prefer to have that amazing experience once than to have a kind of okay, pretty good experience a hundred times throughout the day. Mm. So that's yeah. me personally. I don't think anybody would, um, I don't think everybody would agree with me, but I think there is a good analogy to be had there. And a good reason for why uh, being an expert does still produce that feeling when you finally do find a diamond in the rough. Um, but it comes with, and it's unfortunate, it's built into the question, but it's the elitist attitude towards other people. That's the problem. If you can yeah. just be cool and not make fun of other people, then who cares? Be an expert and enjoy your thing and then don't enjoy everything else. But don't tell everybody else that what they like is stupid and, and dumb. Just, just be cool. Just be cool. Just and then cool. you can kind of have it both ways. If you can be an expert without being an elitist, then then I think that's that's probably where I would prefer to land in, yeah. in that scenario. I, what's funny uh, talking about um, enjoying more Reese's at once rather than a little bit over time. I think this <laughs> yeah. is probably this might have had something to do with how ridiculous our appetites were in high school. <laughs> Remember. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I drink a whole quart of eggnog like yeah. all at once. Well, I think that it was one of our birthdays. I can't remember which one where we had a mm. pizza eating contest. And we, I think we both put down two large pizzas on our, by ourselves, Dude, like each. <laughs> um, you that know, like insane. there and I this is actually something I struggle to to this day. Like I have these kind of wide swings of weight gain and weight loss um, because I kind of have that 
I don't know why I'm talking about this, but I have that like needs to have a lot of it at once to like, yes. um, to <laughs> uh, like otherwise really you don't enjoy get it rather than enjoyment. A, You're trying to, cause optimize. people are like, why just eat one popsicle? It's like, no, <laughs> I want to eat all 12. Like that's way better. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is like uh, that Julian Smith skit where he's got the pancakes or the waffles. Yeah. It's like, I want to eat 12 of them. You want to eat yeah, all Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's That's just funny. not it's not as it's not as good to just if you have don't. the one. Yes, yeah. I'd rather have nothing. Than I know, me just, too. <laughs> just a little bit, right? That may Anyways. be a problem. I don't know, but I that's how I am too. Um, I do want to go back real quick and touch on a comment from Riker's beard. This is back when I was talking about Evangelion. I I probably should have mentioned this at the time. Um, I did end up finishing the whole show. So he says, Mike. I know it might sound pretentious, but that was literally the point. Uh, the whole series was a deconstruction of mecha of the mecha genre and what you're t- uh, and what you're talking about. The point oh, has coming, yeah. long since been lost on the passage of time, ironically. But that's another topic altogether. Uh, it is another topic altogether. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the comment to let you know that I did finish the series and I have um, done a lot of either talking to people about it or watching videos, people giving their takes on it on both sides. Um, I will, I don't know if I will ever care. Yes, I saw the movie as well. Um, I don't know if I will ever care to really like have an in-depth discussion on Evangelion on this podcast, um, because I still didn't really like it, even when it dramatically changes in the second half. Um, but maybe that's a conversation we can have on discord or somewhere else. But I just want to let you know, I I seen it all. I know that that is the perspective of perhaps the author, the intention of the author, um, as well as, you know, a lot of people who are very, very big fans of the show. So I've, I've, I've looked at the show underneath that lens. I still don't really like it though. So, um, anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Okay. Uh, okay, so, um, actually, before we do that, I think there was another, real quickly, another, um, question asked on Discord here real quick. Okay, from Michael Melkonian. Forgot to add this one. Let me actually uh, add it. If you could teach a college freshman course on video games... Which games would you choose and why? What kind of course would it be? Example, history of video games or video game literacy or focus on one genre, etc. History for me. It would totally be history of video games. Let me compile a list real quick. Let's see. (laughs) Gotta have FF7 and Halo. Mario, of course. And what's like the first? What is considered to be the about, first video what game? About like, uh, like what about like Pong or like, uh, yeah, Pac-Man or uh, arcade? See, what was the first arcade game? Yeah, Pong. Stuff? Pong is considered to be the first video game ever. So got to do Pong. Pac-Man. I'm thinking, yeah, because arcades were so important. Asteroids. Oh, yeah, Pac-Man. It's got to be Pac-Man. Uh, so I've got Galaga or whatever that game's called. Final Fantasy VII, Halo, Mario, Pong, Pac-Man. What what's like the most 
genre changing video game that's ever been released. Like this one game changed the way everything else is done. Kind of like the way Halo changed uh, shooters. Mm. Um, you could probably make an argument for Zelda um, or, or Mario 64 for 3D platformers. Oh yeah, the 3D transition. That's a pretty good... Maybe Mario 64. That would be a pretty good one. Um, probably maybe something like Mega Man. Um, or... People saying Grand Theft Auto. That's a Grand Theft good. Auto for open world. Yeah. Yeah, for open world. Yeah, we got to do it. GTA. Although I can't teach that in freshman class. Space Invaders. That's the game I was trying to think of. Thank oh, you the arcade that. one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a pretty good um, list right there. So we'd probably play it in order. So first, I'd have my kids play Pong for, you know, whatever. I don't even know what kind of homework I'd assign, but whatever. Play Pong, and then Pac-Man, <laughs> and then Mario, and then Final Fantasy VII. No, Mario 64 technically came before that, but I think Final Fantasy VII would work, would make more sense. And then Mario Seven, especially if it if not being a game that revolutionized or changed JRPGs necessarily, was at least one that completely globalized and popularized yeah. it. Right? I think it changed the industry. It may not have ch- changed itself, you know. It was, but it was just such a yeah. It was such a phenomenon. It was such a cultural moment. Cap Doc brings up Street Fighter Two. That'd be a good one for fighters. Oh shoot! I have to do that. That one goes after Pac Man. No, after Mario. Street Fighter 2. Yeah, totally. Riker's Beard brings up Doom. Uh, we got other people bringing up like Wolfenstein or Quake. Yeah, that Doom kind and of Quake. Shooter. Probably Doom. Yeah, those changed. Yeah, Doom. Or Chex Quest. I probably haven't played Chex Quest. <laughs> <laughs> Doom works. Uh, what's like Resident, a flying... Resident Evil 4. Oh, like a pilot simulation. Yeah, what's a game that deal? made like flying... A... I don't know if a game Arrow, is still... Arrow Fighters... Uh, 60... Or Clay Fighters. Arrow Fighters would be good. No, I, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I don't know how popular... I don't flight, think any game has really, really gotten flying mechanics down quite there yet. I think that's still to come. Star Fox 64 is beastly, though. That's true, John the Man. Yeah, John and Rogue Man. Squadron 2, but it was mostly just... The, it's behind you and you just move the... I don't know. It wasn't really... It didn't feel as much like you could just go anywhere uh what about like um uh x-wing versus tie fighter that's oh like yeah that's pretty good way more uh flight simulator e right yeah uh maybe, well anyways uh, but I'll, we'll probably talk about it in class here we go we'll talk about it but we're not i'm not gonna have them go home and play <laughs> x-wing versus tie fighter so you got a you got a good start on uh yeah, I've got the list. I've got it here now. And for it, for adventure games, I mean like The Legend of Zelda. For 2D platformers, the original Super Mario Brothers. For 3D platformers, I would think Mario 64. Maybe for uh well, for 3D adventure games, I mean like targeting enemies, I mean that's all Zelda Ocarina of Time as well. Those those two N64 uh Mario Zelda games really revolutionized 3D gaming in a big way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And you got you got good stuff for the other. <laughs> we fit nice. We fit, baby. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, There's no like recent games on that list. So you could probably talk about consoles though. In addition to just the games, like 
the hardware. Yeah, the we'd the go over changed. it. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. um, the answer for me would be uh, pretty much just go watch the podcast from a couple weeks ago where we had um, uh, Games is Lit on. Uh, we talked oh, yeah, about yeah. A, a course he taught in high school called uh, Games is Games is Literature. Um, so the, I guess the the point of it would be to sort of change the perception of people about what games are or what they can be. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people just see them as something as power fantasy, mindless entertainment, just pure escapism. Um, oh, but I oh, think there's tons of uh, potential for great storytelling that you can't really get anywhere else. So we talked a yeah. lot about that on that podcast. It's like a literature literature class. Uh, Jonah yeah. the Man brings up Near Automata, and I actually do think that game has such a such a mixture of different previous games that came before it and it, it kind of has a different a mixture of play styles i think within mm. that game that would that's a pretty interesting one i would consider maybe having them play near automata uh john the man says spec ops the line game i still really need to play uh, in, uh ingeniously deconstructs the shooter genre yeah i've uh that's one i gotta play uh rob brings up shadow of the colossus you gotta put that on your list Shadow oh, Shadow of the Colossus. Of... Yeah, that's true. There's nothing quite like that before. I don't think I've before yeah. or since ever played. Well, they did like that ragdoll physics, and they they did some stuff that a lot of games hadn't done before. So that's a good point too. So um, and okay, so nice, that's a pretty good answer for that question. Um, let's move into uh, sort of the end what we wanted to do today first of okay. all uh last week i think i think it was last week we had symphonikev he uh, oh, yeah, did yeah. an original composition um so as thanks for us uh, featuring his music on the podcast he sent us i gotta send this to you too case well it's actually it's in the doc if you want to click on it, the link oh i see it yeah he did a um his own uh arrangement of our podcast theme song which was originally composed by um Yasunori Mitsuda, Yasunori Mitsuda, right? yeah. Uh, let me put this into the chat so that everyone can listen to it. It's a beautiful arrangement of of the of the song. Yeah, it's very nice. So I'm gonna play that real quick and be quiet. Here we go.
right, I'm going to stop it there, but uh, everyone should go listen to the whole thing. What I find so interesting about this is that all it took to make that song sound like a Chrono Trigger song was some percussion and a bass line. <laughs> that was like Chrono yeah, Trigger-esque. Yeah, bass line was really well done, actually. <laughs> I thought he did a good job with that. And all of a sudden, it was like, bam, that's like a Chrono Trigger piece. Like, just <laughs> immediately. Where, like, in the in the original uh, one that, that uh, Yasunori Mitsuda did and, and the one that, you know, we officially kind of put out, it doesn't quite have that feel. It feels like a Mitsuda piece, but it doesn't feel necessarily like Chrono Trigger but as soon as you have that that percussion line in there and that bass line in there, it's like, oh my gosh, that's like straight out of Chrono Trigger. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so thank you for that, uh, Symphonic F. If it's, if it's cool with him, I mean, we'll do it at least for this one. But uh, moving forward, I'd like to have um, uh, my arrangement at the beginning of the podcast uh, and then his to like lead us off at the end to use sure. his at at the end of the podcast to like take us out. I'm sure, as long as we as long as we credit him, you know, that yeah, he wouldn't mind. So let me know if you're cool with that. Um, but I think that that would be a cool thing to do moving forward. Uh, Hydrated cloth says it does sound like a chill piece. Makes me think of nighttime. You know how in um in certain games, especially Xenoblade, they'll have two versions of the same uh, melody one that plays during the daytime, like during the day cycle, and then one that plays at night. That's kind of like what we have going on here with our version and Symphonikov's version of uh, Mitsuda's theme. We have like the daytime version and the nighttime version. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> our day our day and night cycle, right? So our day cycle comes at the beginning of the podcast. Song. Yeah. yeah, and then his is the, the nighttime version. That's true. It's, that totally sounds like that. Uh, Jonah the Man has an interesting... <laughs> Interesting point here. Oh, he says Fred- Friedrich here. Nietzsche's core philosophy was that the quest for knowledge and understanding destroyed our species' sense of awe and wonder, particularly religion, resulting in nihilism and essentially and essentially de- essential despair. The only solution at that point is to find something worth living for and make the best of it. That's very interesting in, in light of the discussion we just had. Um, like somebody had mentioned this before i think riker's beard had mentioned before that once once you become an expert in something the magic of how it works is gone Mm. and it's hard to just be an escapist it's hard to just use music as an escape as escapism when you are a musician it's hard to use movies as as a form of escapism when you make movies because you can't help but see all the things that they're doing and notice all of the little lighting tweaks, the story, the writing, all of that stuff. And you just, you can't help it because you are an expert in that thing. Um, And the magic is gone. But I would say that behind the curtain, you know, seeing the magic, there's still a technique to the magic trick that can still be appreciated even when the magic is no longer apparent, when you can see how it's done um i don't really know much more to say about that but um i thought those were very good comments Riker's beard and jonah the man talking about this stuff it it really is at the core of who we are the escapism versus being an expert in learning about something and trying to find the best of something that there is in the world what was was what's that quote from um the prestige Oh um, yes, I thought of prestige too. The magic, the curtain. Oh what my is- gosh! Yeah, what does he say about like you want to be fooled? Uh, yes, the yes. prestige. Hold on, I gotta read this. We this we we quoted this on an earlier podcast. I remember. 
Every great magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Uh, perhaps he asks you to inspect it to see if it is indeed real, unaltered, or normal. But of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled, and you wouldn't clap yet because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act, the hardest part, the part we call the prestige. I think we were talking about some uh, good plot twists in the episode where we brought that up before. But yeah. You you want to be fooled. You you don't want. You're not really looking for it. You you want the magic of being tricked. Yeah. Otherwise, like, what are you paying a bunch of money to go see a magician for? <laughs> <laughs> Tricky. Yeah. What did you just waste your money on? Exactly. So, anyways. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you for sending that in. It was yeah. really really good. Um. Okay. Now. For the last part of today's podcast, we're actually going to be bringing on uh, somebody into the call. What's up? Hello, Chris. Chris Kraus. Hey, guys. Am I there? Yes, yep. you're here. Welcome. You? You're live. Trying to get the sound up. One second. There we go. Can you hear us? Yes, now I can. How are you doing? Awesome. Doing great. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for all your support of the channel. Um, so we're or on a community story segment. And uh, you sent us in um, some work that you're doing, some theater work. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to give you a chance to talk about it a little bit, uh, what you've been working on and where, if anyone wants, is, is able to come and see it or, or where they can find you. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually fight choreography, um, doing fight choreography and acting in uh, the production of The Tempest for Wolfbane Productions in Appomattox, Virginia. Um, and they're a really cool theater company, actually. They, uh, they're really big into immersive shows. So we have like in this, yeah, in this production, we have like a storm zone, you know, you'll get rained on and stuff in the first about three or four rows. Um, and they'll, you know, actually cat, like some of the actors will be being blocked around you and things like that which is really fun, you know? Um, so I actually, I know I sent you the link a little while ago. Let me, I can bring it back up again and put yeah, it in the and, chat. Yeah, and definitely put it into the chat for sure. Yeah, yes. but that, I'll want that for the, the description on YouTube too. Awesome, cool. And I'll get that on that. But yeah, it's um, it's a nice show we're running, was it the next three weekends in August? We just closed our first weekend. So, you know, How did great. it go, your, your first weekend? It went really cool, you know? Um, I mean, they actually, so they built a set fully outdoors. Like we are outside in the woods essentially. So you feel like you're walking into like, a magical wooded area essentially and you know we had about oh pretty much full out full out houses the first three days which was awesome so they've built a really cool community out here like actually i think just with the way you guys like to talk about stories i think you'd appreciate that they take advantage of the form of theater and they do stuff yeah. that you can't do if it's not live you know um this fall they're doing a production of the crucible that's going to be entirely lit by candlelight oh. and firelight in the woods so like, oh wow that's yeah, crazy <laughs> yeah it's really cool you know like so i just really like working for him and i get to choreograph some fight you know some fight stuff and act which is really fun so cool yeah so where did you uh learn to to choreograph fights how long yeah. how long have you been into that yeah i've been god how long, um almost 10 years now you know i started in college you know um 
I was one of those guys that I was originally an art major and then I wanted to make less money. So I went for theater, but (laughs) you know, and (laughs) one of my, uh, one of my professors choreographed. And so I started learning from her and then I started going with her and I started helping choreograph. And then when I moved to New York to be an actor, um, I just was in shows that guys started learning from stuntmen. Um, I did a few live shows, realized I didn't want to be a full-time stuntman because I want to walk when I'm 40, but you know, um, but one thing I love, like actually you guys touched on this in the last pod is kind of about, I love approaching fights from a story aspect and how it furthers the character. Mm-hmm. And I think there's too many movies that don't do that, you know? Um, Absolutely. But when it does it, it really enhances. And there's, I, I was messaging you about it. I think there's, when you see a character and how they're willing to commit violence, you can learn a ton about them. And mm-hmm. that's when it really heightens a story, you know? That's a very yeah, good point actually, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's like, you know, you guys bring up Star Wars a lot. One thing I love is look yeah. at, even though they're not as technically impressive as the prequels and the lightsaber fights, look at the mm-hmm. acting and the physical acting. Like when Luke uh, hears the Darth Vader says, I'm going to turn your sister. He goes nuts. He's changing his physicality. We're learning about Luke in the fight, you know? Yeah. He, yeah. All of a sudden he's willing to go to an extent that he was not yeah. earlier willing to go to. That's true. Oh, he's, he's losing his mind. You know, and I love yeah. that stuff. You know, it's, it's about storytelling. That's what got me really on your channel outside. I was a huge RPG nut as a kid, but I love right. the way you guys discuss <laughs> stories, you know? Mm-hmm. So oh, thank you. Yeah. So yeah, how, how, how long did you prepare for this uh, particular play? Oh man. Um, I was talking to the director about it a couple months ago. Once he sent me a finalized script a few weeks before production, I started choreographing everything in my head. Because we have a few group fights in this too, as a well some um, individual. And so I'd say probably about, it was actually pretty quick, about four weeks, you know, and two weeks of very intensive just working with the actors, making sure you're safe. That's a big thing. Um, yeah. You don't want to, you don't method act fights. That's not a thing, you know. <laughs> so, and I've, I've been hurt by a lot of guys who, who think that you need to feel like you're actually in a fight and that's not fun. So, yeah. um, so we had like a two intensive week rehearsal process to put it up and, uh, you know, open it up Thursday. So it's been, it's been really fun. You know? So there are some unique challenges to choreographing fights for stage mm-hmm. versus doing it for film. We've done yeah. a lot of uh, on our on our old channel, Dark Pixel. We did lots of action scenes, lots of fight scenes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, in terms of like actually hitting each other and getting hurt, I, I've had my fair share of that. Uh, Case and Landon yeah. and I, when we're fighting each other, <laughs> accidentally punching each other in the face. Yeah, totally. <laughs> one, the, the take ended up making the final cut, but Mike... Mike, I did a good fake hit, right? But then you took me down that kidnapping Siri video. Yep. And it sucks because we use the take, but I fell too quickly. I hit my head on the cement. Oh, you don't and see it. Yeah. Off camera, off screen. We kept the take because <laughs> it was so cool. But, oh. and you can hear my head getting hit. Oh, but no, dude. You didn't even see it. Like, if you're going to get hurt, at least keep it on camera. Yeah. Oh, use it, yeah. you know? Pull and, uh, yeah. yeah, and then there was, uh, what is it? I think it was the second Taxman video we did where Landon uh, <laughs> kneed me in the face. Oh, um, I just took a knee right to the eye. And then oh. earlier that same day, I had hit him with an elbow and a jaw. So, Are you sure this wasn't happening on purpose? Were you guys just <laughs> trading? Like, nah, no, man, we, yeah. <laughs> we, we really promised we weren't trying to, but we did. But no, but back to the question. Yeah. So choreographing fights for the stage is really tough because of all the different perspectives the audience is sitting in. So to actually sell it is hard because depending on where you're sitting, you're going to see that they're not making contact. So is that something that you've tried to address in in your fight choreography? Yeah, it is. Um, Ideally, you know, if you're in a normal proscenium stage, it's a little bit easier to hide some angles, 
But when you're in like what we're doing, where sometimes there's an audience member four feet away from me, yeah, you do a, you do a couple of things. Like one, um, it's easier to hide the sight lines with weapons. You know, it, mm. weapons look more dangerous naturally, even though you're attacking the here. You know, I, I'm never. I've actually did some um, collegiate. I didn't. I wasn't a collegiate level fencer, but I fenced in college, and so I know the difference mm. between trying to actually hit someone with a blade and not. Um, sure. But hand to hand is I, I call hand to hand sleight of hand. Like the hard thing with hand to hand is that you're almost trying to do a distraction. Um, sound helps. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one. What? Wait, is that from me? What is going? You hear that music? I don't hear anything. No. Okay. So it's, it know. must be on your end. Something, <laughs> something is going on in the background of my computer, but, um, <laughs> but essentially like it's, you're trying to hide some sight lines. And what I work with that is just trying to see if you can actually like, sell the angle um also if you can do a good nap napping is like if i'm gonna sell a punch i actually hit myself you know if i'm doing quick it's like something like that yeah you know oh sure classics we used to do that yes because we didn't do sound design right yeah (laughs) yes so we were doing it to sell the sound yeah exactly for theater when you think about it for theater it's you got to sell it live. You can't do any post-production stuff. No. Yeah. yeah. And sound is so huge. That's when you realize sound is, even though uh, an actual punch doesn't sound like the thunder punch in Indiana Jones, you right. know, we think it does. So, <laughs> you know, you want, you need to have those sound cells in there. It's not um, satisfying without it. It's not. It's not. Like when you've actually been hit, you're like, that didn't sound that impressive at all. It sounded like a slap, you know. Yeah. Um, some, I know. It's yeah. like a high pitch, like. Yeah, exactly. You know, you probably, you learned it when your head hit the ground. You're like, that didn't sound that cool. You know, just, (laughs) yeah. Where's the bass? What happened? Exactly. Um, And so then another thing that helps with that too is, is also figuring out the ways you can make contact in a safe way. Um, I always actually tell a lot of people the most dangerous thing you can do is a stage slap. Uh, Because most people do actually make contact. But if you mess that up, you hit someone's ear, you can blow out their eardrum, you hit their eye, you know, they're not going to be able to see for the rest of the show. Um, But those can sell really well, you know. Mm Um, and then, and then it's really is selling it with the acting. And even if you have like a good nap and they see the space, the audience will still react like you actually hit them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and also then figuring out the right layer of speed. You don't want to go too fast because people can't see it and it's dangerous. But if you go fast enough, they kind of don't quite tell, you know? Um, and then just trying to block it well. You know, that's the biggest yeah. thing. You have to try to hide the sight angles because bad stage combat takes someone out of a story about as fast as anything can, you know? Oh, we yeah. Love- I, I remember I was in a high school play for um, uh, Pink Panther Strikes Again. Uh, nice. I played yeah. uh, I played Jacques Clouseau, and um, oh, nice. we, there was a fight scene with uh, Cato, uh, the mm-hmm. guy who is at his apartment or whatever. And you know the the director um, who was I think that just the drama teacher at the school, she obviously didn't have any clue about like stage combat at yeah. all and so yeah. what the way she was trying to block it it was just like so bad and i was coming from i mean Kason and i were buddies at this time and we were making yeah. movies and stuff yeah. right so we had done film stage combat like a lot and so like i was just trying to like no let's do it this way because you'll hide the sight angle and yeah and can i make the sound and you know trying to like make it better but there's so much bad stage combat out there it's crazy it's hard and honestly there's so much bad stuff on broadway it really like hurts yeah. my soul i, I know like oh, per- professional level stage combat i i went yeah. and saw um i can't remember what show it was it, i can't remember the name of it but it's it's in vegas um oh which, Cirque, um no, it's the it's the it's the uh, Ka, Chinese Ka? Ka. Yeah. Yeah. Ka, yeah. There was there was so much of it that I was really surprised at how yeah. how wide the they were not even coming close to making yeah. contact. It is. And it's 
And it's like, I get it when you want to err on the side of safety because I was in a production of right. a, a clockwork orange off, off Broadway. Ooh. And this guy, yeah, it was surprising. <laughs> script script was not that great. Cause the original author wrote it and he tr tried to be too close to his book. But uh, I said, the guy who choreographed us was a stuntman and stuntmen, you know, again, you have to do it once. And, uh, and you guys found out, you know, you can get close. You can actually make contact cause you're padded up. I got my lips split open because this guy was still mm. changing stuff until the night before he was trying yes. to have it be too, too close, you know? Um, but it's also that the other way, you don't want to go the other way where it's like, well, I, I don't feel any sense of danger, you know? Um, and that's a, a hard thing. We're losing the drama, let alone of like trying to then add the next level of, I want to learn something about your character in a fight scene the way I should in a great, well-written piece of dialogue, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Got a good uh, comment here from Decoy uh, oh, yeah. Manta. Says, I went to a stunt workshop with medieval weapons and relying on your partner yeah. to not straight up stab you is a big part. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have that trust. <laughs> it, it is. And you'd be surprised because especially with weapons, it's actually easier. Like you're attacking to about an area about a foot outside the body, um, especially mm -hmm. on stage, you know, and then you're selling it. It looks dangerous. But I had one actually at this theater. I did Romeo and Juliet last year and our Romeo stabbed our Paris in a fight call. And I was like, oh what are you doing? Gosh. You know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm like, you got to try to mess up that mad, you know? Like, yeah, that's yeah. terrible. So, but it is, it's, it's the thing I do love about it. And what keeps me coming back to it um, is when you see stuff like, like a Rob Roy or something where you see this great, well-written piece that at the end of the fight, the fight reveals things about the characters, you know? Mm. And yeah. I hope to, I hope that we see more stuff like that. You know, don't get me wrong. I love something like uh, John Wick. That's just incredible <laughs> sure, sure. work, yeah. you know, but man, like that's what I think I keep going back to like Empire Strikes Back. Like you're learning about Luke in that whole fight. He's going from mm -hmm. confident to thinking he's got this to realizing like he's terrified at the end of it. It turns into almost a horror movie. He's just trying to get away from Darth Vader, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, movie that wasn't, it's not necessarily a great movie, but Troy you do great physical work in those fights. You learn instantly who Brad Pitt's Achilles is in his first fight. It's like 20 seconds long, you know? Yeah. And I love that kind of stuff. And that's oh, what gets me. Throw a shot there with him. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's just fun. And that's what keeps me going. And I, and I love seeing the story conveyed through cool. physical action. So, you know, and well, if anyone's around Virginia, um, you can come see right. some of that stuff. So. Yeah. yeah I was just going to say, yeah. you've got me really the intrigued the, now. Yeah. Again? Uh, Appomattox. It's Wolfbane Productions, um, The Tempest, and we're going to- Wolfbane Productions yeah. in Appomattox, Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Not Wolfsbane, Wolfbane. So yeah. Um, Wolf and actually, Bane. yeah. Okay. Wolf like, Wolfbane. And <laughs> it, if anyone is a history buff, you know, Appomattox where the Civil War ended. Um, and yeah. actually, our, our Romeo and Juliet was at the Civil War Park because it was set in the- We did a Civil War era Romeo and Juliet set in the park where the war ended, um, which was pretty cool to be wow, doing a show. That. Yeah, it was really cool. So, so, so for cool. any of us who can't attend because we're not mm -hmm. in the area, yeah. it, would there be any way for us to see some of your fight choreography? Oh, eventually? yeah. Yeah. Um, I have like I have a fight reel, um, actually. Jeez, okay. um, I, I should start linking my stuff. I have, yeah, uh, I have a put website. It, put it into the chat, and then I'll make sure cool. and get that into the description. Too. Awesome. Yeah, I will do that. I'll do it on my phone after after I hop off here. But, okay. um, yeah, I have a fight reel if you guys want to see you know, some of that. I have a little sizzle reel and stuff like that. And I'd like to, I'm going to talk to them. We are going to film a couple of the stuff and I'd like to throw it up on YouTube and stuff just to see some of the stuff, you know, see yeah. some of the things from the show. So, yeah, I, I definitely want to see it. Uh, if, if you do get any footage from the, the fight choreography in the show and send us your, awesome. your, your demo reel as well. I oh, want to put sure. that on the screen and let people see that. Awesome. Thanks. Um, so yeah. uh, send it over uh, as soon as you get for a sure. chance, I'll put it on screen. Awesome. All right, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, All, right, All right. Thanks a lot guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for coming on. Speakers. Oh, yeah.
Thanks. Enjoy your vacation. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good one, man. See ya. See ya. All right. Well, um, I'd like to do that more often. That was fun. That was fun. Uh, that was fun. So if you, if anybody out there, you have a community story and you're actually down for coming on the podcast to talk about it a little bit, your thought process, you know, uh, your method, so to speak, uh, hit me up. Maybe we can, uh, we can do that more often. Uh, Chrissy is here. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, hopefully he will be linking his YouTube channel and stuff like that in the chat here in just a minute. And then hopefully I'll be able to put some of that up on screen. Again, I'll be making cuts to what will end up going up on YouTube so we don't have all this space in between. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was fascinating, though. Really cool guy. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Um, that This actually makes me want to put up real quick in the interim, though, uh, that fight you were talking about where you got your freaking skull crushed on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did it behind the scenes, too, where we did Let's it see. slow motion. Can't, it was kidnapping Siri, right? Yeah, kidnapping Siri. Yeah. Let me put this on the let me put this on the screen. That was a fun video. I'm gonna show some of our fight scenes real quick. Okay, here we go. He's got a Vimeo. I'm gonna put this up first. So we're gonna look at Chris's there uh, demo reel. I'm gonna I'm also going to turn the, the volume off so we don't get to copyright claimed. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, here's nice. Chris here's Chris's uh, demo reel. Here we go. Oh, can I watch this at a higher quality? This is really low quality. Give me 720. Yeah, mine's pretty low as well. Okay, well, there we go. Oh, there we go. Nice throw. Ooh, that was good. Really well done. We got some weapons here. Ooh, this is nice. Nice uh, fencing here. Well, that's, the that's fencing really cool. That's 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 really nice. Oh, we got some nice wall throws. Cool. Nice done, Chris. Let's see, we got a couple more seconds left in this. Gun falls to the ground. All right, nicely done. Uh, so yeah, uh, let me put this, well, that link is in the, um, there it is. He's in the, the chat. Wolfbane Tempest. Oh, uh, and then the Wolfbane Tempest. Okay. This is okay, the cool. actual, the actual, uh, play. So, uh, I, again, all of these or again, all of these will be in the description, but now I want to see, uh, shot case. I was talking about where he gets his face bashed in by me. So good. The floor. So good. Okay. Uh, okay, here it is. I'm gonna start playing it right now. <laughs> it's a great video, dude. <laughs> well, I was still really kind of like learning sound effects or sound design at the time. Uh, the the sound effects were a little little bit over the top there, um, but the it, it it was believable. We sold it well. We don't, but we didn't see your face actually coming in contact. I know with the you don't see the actual contact. That's the part where you basically get a concussion. Um, oh, this yeah, one too. The, the the Splinter Cell video we did where I where I hit my head against the table for real. Oh yeah, at the end when Robert, yeah, yeah, Rob oh, comes yeah. in and, and messes me up, dude. Let me get to the end of this. So here we go. He comes in, and it's right about here. He slams my face into the table. <laughs> Saying something about my dog. 
I forgot um, I forgot that we put the actual lines from Sam Fisher over the top of him. It doesn't sound that good, but <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yep, that that shot right there. My my head made contact with the table for real. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Dude, then, that's a good video too, man. Uh, Warrior Lasky versus the Taxman too. Uh, wait, what? Hold on. Wait, really? Wasn't that what it was called? Or is it split into two words? What are you saying? I'm trying to find the video. Okay, here it is. So at the beginning of this video. Um, I come up with like an uh, an uh, uh, an elbow underneath Landon's chin, and I actually hit him. So that was that was the first was that the was first man? blood. Yeah. This was first blood, and then he gets me later. So this one right here. That when I came up with the elbow underneath his chin, I actually I actually. Hit him. We were pretty good at fight court, and, and then. And then later in the video, uh, this part. Um, so a lot of this, I just watched this whole freaking fight scene. Actually, this is like the best fight scene we ever did at the end in the theater. <laughs> oh, this is the second one. Yeah. I was a lot better with the sound effects at this point. getting fetched up. <laughs> that's the best one because that looks super painful but that we did not make contact at all that was just completely sold when when he put, kicks my face into like the chair oh yeah dude i'm having trouble finding it it's two words taxman two words i was having trouble with the with the search when i didn't put them in two words oh yeah here we go. These punches are freaking good. It, we called the Taxman Reloaded. I thought it was Taxman 2. Uh, okay, this part right here. Fist, fist, and then this knee. This knee right here. And you, you actually hear him respond. He goes, oh, because he hurt his knee really bad at the same time. But he, he kneed me straight to the freaking temple. And I kind of like blacked out for a second. <laughs> He can hear me fight, too. Man. It's like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> I got fetched by that knee, dude. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, fun times. Dude, this uh, is a good fight, It's a really good fight. I was very proud of that fight. <laughs> this is that better fight. than most of, like, the, not most, but a lot of the fight stuff you see from Hollywood. I was I was really happy with that fight. In fact, I, I just think saw that, the knee. Oh yeah, man, dude, I got jacked by that knee. Um. <laughs> anyways, good good times. Remembering back to when we were actually filmmakers. I know, um, I know. Uh, <laughs> they will make something cool again. Maybe uh, we, we should. We should just we do should. it. Just for old time's sake. For all time's sake, we'll do one more. Uh, we'll do one more. Um, uh, Imaginary Warzone or something. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Okay, guys, so that's it for this week's podcast. We appreciate you guys watching. 
Thank you, Chris, for coming on and uh, hanging out with us for a bit and talking about yeah, fight choreography. It. It's a good time. And uh, Symphonikev, we're going to leave off with your, your tune here as well. Thank you for uh, doing that. And um, like I said at the beginning, we're not going to be doing podcasting for the next two weeks. So uh, I'll be on vacation, be out of town. We will be back and podcasting again September 1st, Sunday, September 1st on Twitch. And then the following Wednesday, the podcast will go live. So until then, have a great remainder of your month of August. (laughs) And uh, peace out, everybody. Peace.